empty load today. So we're continuing today in our Catechism series through God's attributes. We've moved on to the um, communicable attributes, the so-called. It was the first session of that last week, communicable attributes. Okay, so, first, so this is the second session of that. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at God's knowledge and his truthfulness. So those are the two topics we're going to talk about. So let's uh, open in prayer and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you that in addition to our service, we get to spend time beforehand hearing more about the truth of who you are, especially as we look at your attributes. Uh, Help us through all of that to to know you more deeply, to worship you, uh, to love you, knowing uh, all of these wonderful things that are are true of you. So help us this, this morning hour to... Uh, by giving us understanding by your spirit and uh, help us to be built up and for you to be glorified in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so just a, a recap of what has just what well, we've just started in moving from the incommunicable attributes to the communicable attributes. What we mean by incommunicable is these are attributes that God possesses that we don't share in any way. And communicable attributes are the attributes of God that by his creating us and giving us his image that we share those attributes with him. And you'll notice that there's a, as we move to the communicable attributes, there's a change in the name of the attributes from uh, im, like not something, to omni. And the reason for that is because Uh, Im means it's a category like not, right? He's not like us in these ways. He's um, immortal, for example. But when it comes to ways in which we are somewhat like God, by analogy, he gets omni-prefixed to some of those attributes. It's not the case with every single one of them, but you may have just noticed the differences in the names, and and that's why. Just a, a brief category that will help us think through this, and I think Antonio has mentioned it before, but the way in which we uh, are made in God's image and share in his attributes is not what we would call univocal, meaning that God's knowledge, or knowledge and power is not a pie that God has 10 slices of and we have one slice of. It's not like we have just one-tenth or one-millionth or whatever of God's knowledge or his power. But he actually has knowledge and power in a different way from us. He has it as it is in himself, and we have it by analogy. He, he gives us a, a share in it, but not a, not a portion of the pie. We get to share in it, but in a different way. And, and this is difficult in the abstract. So when we look at knowledge now, we'll see the application of this to help us understand this. Um, so, yeah, we a common misunderstanding is that explanation that I just shared, that God's omniscience means he knows absolutely everything, and we know way less than that. But that isn't the way to think about it. That's a common mistake. The nature of our knowledge is that we know by analogy. We know by God revealing things to us. 
by him giving us faculties that can sense and perceive things as creatures. So we come to know things, we learn. But remember we said earlier, a couple weeks ago, God doesn't learn because God decrees. God knows everything by his decree, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, there are Within these communicable attributes, there's three... Uh, there's three attributes in this particular category. We're doing two today, knowledge and truthfulness. And then Antonio will do wisdom um, at some point coming up. But these are often called mental attributes. And obviously, again, that's just an analogy. God doesn't have a mind in the way that we have a mind. Uh, but uh, these, are, these are things that seem, by our understanding, to involve cognition. Right? Knowledge and truthfulness. So now we're going to start with the first one, knowledge, and then we'll move to, to truthfulness. So firstly, uh, God does know everything. Uh, but Westminster Confession of Faith 3.2 says, Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, Yet he has not decreed anything because he foresaw the future at that which would come to pass upon such conditions. So in other words, the reason God makes a decree is not because he looks into the future and sees what might happen and therefore decrees. Because that's not really a decree. A decree is that God determines the future. And... Yeah, we've, we've spoken about this before, but this has a, an impact on the way that we think about sovereignty. Because if God has decreed everything, then how, as creatures, are we free? And the, the way to think about it is to understand that difference between univocal, meaning knowing uh, everything just by more factors than we do, and, and logical. So yes, we have true freedom, but it's within the bounds of being creatures. And there's this relationship between God's decree and our freedom that no one in history has successfully explained down to the detail. Uh, it's, it's something that the Bible asserts as true, but it's not something that is every person or any person seems to have fully comprehended yet. And there's a reason for that. Think of Isaiah 55, 8-9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you see that God does not use a quantitative uh, explanation. It's not about numbers. It's not that my, I have more thoughts than you. It's that my thoughts are different from your thoughts. His thoughts are God's thoughts. Our thoughts are human creaturely thoughts. So God knows how the relationship between his decree and our freedom works. We don't know the mechanics of that, but we know it's true because God has taught it to us in his word. I'd like to look at a, just I'll read you a couple scriptures here and, and then ask a, a few questions. Interestingly, this first scripture is actually from the sermon text for today. 
So when you come to that, bring with you the, the knowledge from, from this class. But Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So it's not simply, again, a quantitative thing. It's actually above measurement. It's, it's super measurable. We can't devise something that can measure or contain God's knowledge. And the way you can think about this is God's knowledge can no more be limited in volume and nature than his presence can be constrained to a particular place. God is in all places at all times because he's God. His being fills everything, the heavens, the earth, everywhere. And so in the same way as in order to be God, God has to be everywhere. He has to be omnipresent. God also has to know everything and not just know all the facts, but know uh, beyond that, know in a different way than we do. Uh, he knows why things happen, not just that they happen. And the way in which he knows that is different from the way that we know it. See Romans 11.33. Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We don't actually have the capacity to judge and scrutinize God's works. Because he's God. Job 37.6. Do you know the balancings of the clouds? The run, wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Uh, what about Hebrews 4.13? And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that means God also knows not just what we do, but he knows the motivations and desires of our hearts. What about Psalm 139 verse 4? That states that he already knows words that we will speak before they hit our tongue. And he even knows what the outcome of events would have been if they had happened, even though they didn't. Think about Matthew 11:21. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they, Chorazin and Bethsaida, would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In fact, his knowledge is so amazing, it is so above ours, that it compelled David to say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. So before some specific questions, a more general question, what is, your, what is your response to hearing the force of those scriptures talking about God's knowledge? What does that make you think of or how do you, what's your natural response? Give me an example or two if you wouldn't mind. Beg your pardon? Very pleased. Very pleased? Good. I'm just glad there's so much about us because it's just wonderful. Yeah. Right. Or. 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 Right. Or. Anything else? Speak again to your all and make you want to worship because you're so thankful about when you get to heaven. 
right. Right. Yes. Right. That's important to realize is that uh, being perfected um, morally and having the completion of our glorification take place in our bodies that we won't sin, that we won't decay or be corrupt, doesn't mean that we become God. It doesn't mean that we uh, attain these incommunicable attributes. Right? In the case of knowledge, it doesn't mean that we will, we will have knowledge in the same way as God has knowledge. We would continue to learn and we will still know what we know as creatures. Because we, when we were created, we, became, we were creatures. And we will never not be creatures. You know, Mormonism teaches the opposite, that, there's, um, that we can become gods. That Yahweh was once a man, for example. That's, that's not how it works. Our nature doesn't change in that sense. We will still not know things the way that God knows them, even though we may come to know more things. Okay, then, um, so, so reflecting then, what are the benefits or effects of God's knowledge of his omniscience, that he knows everything? What does that mean for uh, sinners who are unrepentant and do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And what does it mean for sinners who are repentant and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? What, is, what does it mean for those groups of people that God knows everything? You can't hide. You can't hide. Right. Quite right. In Amos 9, it says that the, the wicked might flee at the sense of judgment. But if they go to the top of um, Zion... The Lord's hand will reach up and tear them down from there. And if they go to the depths of the ocean, he will deputize the Leviathan to come and bite them there. Right? And if they run far into a foreign territory, his hand will outstretch and collect them back to judgment and they will be struck down with the sword. So yes, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide away from God's um, knowledge and therefore from his, his justice. What does it mean for believers? Okay, explain. And it's comforting to know that the word of God is true, that he knows what's to come. He's kind of already revealed the end in the Bible. Right. It's like spoiler. Yes, <laughs> yes. He can guarantee the future because he decrees it. And he also, it, also, God knows what we need. Even when we don't, and we often misread our needs, but God knows our needs and therefore can attend to and care for our needs. Uh, yeah, right. There's lots more we can talk about on that, but we need to, to move on. So let's have a look at uh, the second uh, mental attribute, which is God's truthfulness. And related to that, you could also say his faithfulness. So there's two ways in which God is true when we say God is true. What do you think those are? Two ways. What's the first or most obvious thing to you? Doesn't change. Uh, that's a true statement, but uh, that's more his immutability. Um, but yeah, maybe connected to 
to that is that he, and maybe it derives from that in a way, but he doesn't lie. God cannot lie. We read that in, in Titus, right? Titus 1.20. God cannot lie. So when people say there's nothing God can't do, that's, while they may be trying to preserve his omnipotence, that's not strictly true because God can constrain himself um, to whatever he wants. But also, by nature, there's that kind of constraint uh, that because he is truth, he cannot lie. That doesn't make him any less powerful. It's a sinful view to think that one must be able to lie to be powerful. Right? God's power is so extreme, he doesn't need to, to lie. His power is much greater than simply asserting facts or misrepresenting them. Hi, guys. Welcome. Come in. We're just going with our catechism class, so welcome in. <clears throat> okay, so there's two ways. First, God is true in an ethical sense, and that's the one we just talked about. God does not lie. That's a, a moral thing relating to the truth or lies. But God is also... Uh, true in a logical sense, meaning that he knows everything correctly. So you, you can be mistaken, but not lying, right? This, our understanding of God's truth, truthfulness is that firstly, he never lies. And secondly, he's never mistaken. He knows everything as it is, which is part of his omniscience. Do you see why these are related? Uh, that's why cognitive mental attributes, as we call them. But connected with this truthfulness is also his faithfulness. Because if God is true and doesn't lie, that also means he's true to his word. And his faithfulness is something that's talked about a huge amount in the Old Testament in relation to covenant history. His dealings with uh, Israel, well, from Abraham through to Isaac and then through to Jacob, God's dealings with his people is one where he is spoken of as the Lord who is faithful to his promises, to his people. He's spoken as the just judge who has, who has given the word of his law and sworn to judge those who uh, do not uphold it. And he shows himself faithful in that he does what he says throughout the scriptures. Let's have a look at a few, uh, a few scriptures. Firstly, in contrast to being a false god, right? God is a true god. That's Jeremiah 10, 10 to 11. Other gods, the other gods of the earth are worthless idols, right? They're made of, they're made of wood and gold, stone or whatever, and they don't possess the true characteristics of somebody who is God, right? They, they do not have perfection in their um, knowledge and goodness and love and truth and justice and all of those kinds of things. In fact, they, they can't speak. They can't hear. None of these things, right? They can't move. They can't, they can't fill the heavens. They're just an object constrained to time and space, Breakable at the hands of men or with fire. But God is tr true God. The scripture says uh, he also tells the truth. So that's where we talked about the ethical sense. 
Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Sometimes it takes some time for the consequences or the fulfillment of God's word. But ultimately, every word God speaks will prove true. Also, if you've got your Bible with you and you read that, you will find in it about itself that God's word is truth. That's John seventeen seventeen. So God's truthfulness then is inherently part of who he is. It's indivisible, right? It's woven into all other aspects of his character. He is the merciful God in truth. He is the fearsome judge in truth, right? And that's quite a contrast to our experience in this world. Everyone you know has lied to you <laughs> at some point, right? You may think in, in small ways, and it, and it may seem, seem funny, but it's, it's kind of tragic. One of the consequences of sin is there is not a truthful person to be found on the face of the earth. But God always speaks the truth. And that should be a tremendous comfort to us as well. So let's think of a few of the benefits of his truthfulness. What, what, what comes to mind for you when you think of this attribute of God, his truthfulness? What does it mean for you? Right, we can trust his promises. What else? Well, the Christian life is often very difficult. If you read the the expectations of the New Testament, it's not uh, health, wealth, prosperity, whatever. It's potentially suffering, persecution, and in fact, it makes suffering with Christ a condition of inheriting with him. That being a Christian is going to have costs. But knowing God's truthfulness and his faithfulness actually enables us to run this race of faith. And if God wasn't true, there would be no way to survive as a Christian. Because as we mentioned last week in, the, in looking at Psalm 73... It's the power of the next age breaking into this one, of heaven breaking into our time and space now on earth, that is our power to live the Christian life. And that the way it breaks in is through his promises that are applied to us by his Holy Spirit. And so we, by knowing God's truthfulness, can run the race to the end with endurance. So if you find yourself in sickness you can trust that the Lord is going to ultimately bring healing to you in the new creation. If you find yourself in weakness, you, in your resurrected body, you will have strength and power. If you find yourself in pain and betrayal, you will find comfort and vindication guaranteed to you. If you are in poverty, you can trust both in the inheritance with, that you will inherit all things with Christ and his care for you until then. Because he cares for you more than he cares for the sparrows. Something he's also promised 
in his word. So yes, the reason we talk about these things is because they aren't abstract concepts thought of by people who are full-time academic professionals who are paid to invent things. We think about these things because they are they're true about God and they help us to worship him and to live a, the Christian life. So each week as we're thinking about these and how the, what the practical payoff of are these, I just... It's my prayer that you will also pray about these things and actively trust the Lord in these ways. Because as you look through the testimony of Scripture, God's people call upon His name, meaning they invoke Him. Not provoke, they invoke Him, which means they call upon His promises for Him to do as He said. And so it's best to know what he has said he will do, and what he can do, so that you can call upon him in these ways and see his uh, power at work in your lives. And that's what we're about to do now as we have the call to worship. We'll have a prayer of invocation where we're going to call God to act on his promises. And since he is true, he will show up. And because he has his omniscience, He knows what you need in this worship service, and he will minister to your hearts in power through the word and by the Holy Spirit to bless you, to renew your strength, uh, to cause you to endure in this life of faith until he returns. So let's praise him together and thank him now in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your your attributes uh, here, namely your omniscience, your knowledge, and your truthfulness, your faithfulness. That by it we can have confidence and that also that the right response in looking upon who you are is to offer you praise and thanksgiving and for our hearts to be overflowing with gratitude and contentment for all we have and for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.